Welcome to the 2023 World PICU Awareness Week podcast on sepsis. Created by the European Society of Pediatric Neonatal Intensive Care and promoted by the World Federation of Pediatric and Critical Care Societies. Each episode will host a short interview with key European opinion leaders on preventing and managing pediatric sepsis in PICU and NICU. Hello. My name is Akash Deep. I'm a pediatric intensivist at King's College Hospital in London, and I'm the chair of scientific affairs for the European Society of Pediatric and Neonatal Intensive Care, ASPNIC, and I'll be the host for this episode. This episode is being recorded as a part of the PICU World Awareness Week organized by the World Federation of Pediatric Intensive and Critical Care Societies, WIFPICS, and we've chosen sepsis as a theme for this year. And during today's podcast, I'll be speaking to a mother who unfortunately lost her son to sepsis and whose campaign against sepsis is absolutely exemplary, Melissa Reed. Welcome, Melissa, to this podcast. The topic for today is parents' role in early recognition of sepsis in children. Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming and joining us today. Thank you, Akash. No, it's a, it's a delight to be here today and talk to you about this really important topic. Thank you. So before we actually have a deep dive into the specific topic, Melissa, can you please tell us about William's encounter with sepsis? Yeah, of course. So William was, he was born a really healthy baby. Um, he had no health complications. He had, he was, he, he, his birth was normal. Everything was sort of normal, if, if you want to put that into inverted commas. And he basically started to encounter infections when he started in the general population of nursery and preschool. So it was very soon after William started preschool within three months that he died of sepsis. And what actually happened to William was that he had had a protracted cough for a number of weeks leading up to his death, which we had sought advice for, been to the doctors, the GP surgery and such like. And we were always told that it was a viral infection. And in the few hours, 36, 48 hours before his death, he became much more poorly. And we visited doctors three times and called the out-of-hours service that we have here in the UK. And unfortunately, William's case or his symptoms, etc., were deemed as non-urgent. And unfortunately, he died at home on Sunday, the 14th of December. Melissa, whenever I hear you talk about William, it's not the first time I'm hearing this. And it's it's just such a heartbreaking story to listen about what could have been a preventable death. Yeah. But what you have done, Melissa, is you've converted this mishap into something which is absolutely exemplary and not very easy to do, i.e. your campaign about the awareness of sepsis. Yeah, I think that When you lose, I mean, I don't think there's anything worse than losing a child, but to then find out that your child could have and should have survived with better care, it makes, it just feels so unjust. And I think for me, William was very dependent. He was only one. So he hadn't flown the nest. He wasn't, you know, he lived with me and he was very dependent on me. And overnight, we went from having a happy, bonny, active life to silence. And that silence is probably the most deafening sound that you can encounter. And I needed to do something. I needed to somehow be his mum still somehow. And I couldn't do that in the way that I parent my other child. 
And so I suppose I got active and not angry. And I think, you know, there were a number of mistakes, as you've talked about, in William's death. He actually had a bacterial chest infection that led to pneumonia, which eventually is what caused the sepsis. And this was misdiagnosed. And for me, I thought, well, if this can happen to me, it can happen to others. And so I just wanted to set about trying to change the outcome that we had for other people. But again, as I said, Melissa, this is not very easy. I mean, it, it requires a lot of courage. It requires a lot of commitment, which you clearly have shown. So what I am sure the our audience across the globe would want to know is, where did you start and what have you achieved till now about the campaign against sepsis? I think it really started when um, when we had the inquest, which was the investigation into his death for those that, that are, are not listening from the UK, which found that William's death was preventable. And I thought, well, like I just said, I didn't want this to happen to someone else. And so we thought, how can we change that? And, and you know, my first contact really was with the um, UK Sepsis Trust, the charity that is in the UK that is really well known for raising awareness of sepsis and their clinical and educational arm, um, which sort of helps our healthcare professionals in this country. But what actually happened was William's story was put out nationally on the news and we were given a platform which you don't ordinarily receive. And rather than talk about blame and accountability and anger, it was about learning and it was about helping healthcare professionals that are in the same position of those that treated William to make different decisions. It's also about helping parents to make more informed decisions about their children. And it's it's about information. I think, you know, the one thing about sepsis is it's so quick and knowledge is power with sepsis because if you don't have the knowledge that it either one exists or two what it looks like you are just sitting at home and you're sitting duck really you know you need that information to be able to access the healthcare and then we also need the healthcare professionals to be able to think sepsis so that we can treat it and recognize it and for me i suppose the biggest change since william died in 2014 would be public awareness Healthcare professionals know what infection is. They know how to treat infection. Sepsis is not new. It's always been around. However, I think in the last sort of 10 years, it's become more significant in its being a medical emergency. So the rate, the speed in which we would treat heart attack or stroke is how we need to think about sepsis. And also the increase over the last few years of public awareness, I think it's gone from about 20, the mid 20% to about 76%. And that's, that's brilliant. And the same with meningitis 30, 40 years ago, when we had that campaign, we now have sepsis and it's not just a buzzword anymore. People know about it. And so now it's about building on that knowledge, what to look for, what we do and spotting those signs, really. So for me, that's the biggest achievement over the last 10 years. But equally, I've not done that alone. And there are many, many people out there who are sadly in my position. And also we must, I work with the UK Sepsis Trust who really just have that passion and drive. And I think it's people that have encountered sepsis in such an impactful way like me that have that passion to drive it forward. Completely can't agree with you more, uh, Melissa. It's been, as I said, when I listen and hear and read about what you do, 
it is it is something which has changed the way now people when sometimes you know it comes as a surprise but shouldn't be a surprise when a parent actually says i'm worried about sepsis and so my dad takes me to do the next question yes you touched upon the fact that parents and the guardians or the child minders they need to be cognizant of this word sepsis how do you think we can go about teaching them educating them making them aware that any unwell child who they are worried about the need to talk or think about sepsis how can we do that i think it's about educating people about what worse looks like because we don't want every parent with a child just with a high temperature to go to hospital and think that they're dying because that is not the case as you well know what we want to do is to be able to give parents and carers the knowledge of what worse looks like. So when is an infection not just a treatable infection at home? When is it something much more sinister? And it's that that tipping point of understanding those subtle signs in their child and also having confidence to speak up and say, actually, this child is my child. I know that they're not right. I don't know why they're not right but I know they're not, so please listen. And I think that's really, really important to educate parents and be being confident in using the word sepsis too. Yes. Melissa, I was just, um, as you know, I, I follow you on Twitter and I was uh, looking at the pictures of the ambulance with all the sepsis signs on it and you were talking at the safety conferences as well. So can you just tell us a bit about what you what all you do in your campaign against sepsis so that people can know what uh, what what people can actually do? Yeah, so I mean, we do lots of things and we work with a large number of stakeholders, like you just mentioned there, the Ambulance Trust. I mean, obviously we have ambulances that drive around the community. There's no better advertising, for want of a better word, than putting a message on the side of something that is got sirens that is bright yellow and people move out the way for. It's about getting information into the hands of the people that need it at the time that they need it. And as you know, you know, public messaging can be quite overwhelming because there are a number of conditions and illnesses that people need to know about. So it's about accessing those people when they really need it. So when they leave hospital to give them safety netting advice, when they leave get the GP surgery to give them safety netting advice. It's about utilising social media so that people can subconsciously see messaging. Because as we know, if we see something on the side of an ambulance and then we see something on television, or then we read about it in a newspaper, it's that drip feed of information. And I think that's really important. And then people have the ability to be able to research for themselves how they can sort of find out about it. You know, Melissa, you mentioned that the awareness has drastically gone up. You know, as I said, I see it in my practice as well that people actually talk about sepsis. But unfortunately, we still see some disasters still take place. Might be few, but they still take place. So where do we think or where do you think the problem is and how can organizations help in sepsis prevention and management, especially in children? I think number one would be listening to parents because the parents are the experts on their child. And for healthcare professionals, when you're treating a child, you're equally treating the parents as much as you're treating the child. So we want to encourage parents to be able to have the confidence to speak up and ask, could it be sepsis? We also need to ensure that healthcare professionals, when a parent approaches a healthcare professional and says, could this be sepsis? We don't want to just be told, oh no, it's just viral. It's just viral. 
why is it not sepsis? Explain to me why it's not sepsis. As you know, it's fairly easy to explain why it's not sepsis. You know, you have a good heart rate, you have a good blood pressure, you are weeing all over the place, you're eating, you're all of those reasons are that's reassurance. That's not false reassurance. I think the reasons why it's getting missed is for the the same old reason, really, is it can be difficult to spot. We do have a very stretched um, NHS at the moment. People are struggling to access appointments and doctor's appointments and are therefore leaving their illness longer before they access care and just sitting at home thinking it will be okay. As we know, there are longer times to wait for ambulances and in hospitals as well. I think a number of those issues play a part in sepsis being missed. And then obviously we have the few where people just don't even consider sepsis. And in order to treat it, you have to suspect it. You have to be able to discount it first. And I think with the same way that we have heart attack and stroke and you have those symptoms you immediately start to discount those straight away. And then you move down the list of less less sinister illnesses. And we need to be doing that with sepsis. And we need to be having open conversations with parents um, of children or or caregivers, um, because that's really important to involve them in their care and give them that responsibility back. Melissa, we talked about what you have done. We we talked about what is happening at the organization level, etc. So what are the future plans which which you have in the pipeline? I know that, as I said, I saw the things about ambulance. Is there anything else which is coming up which we should know about? Well, I think you probably know about the Infection Management Coalition, which is um, a coalition of a a number of stakeholders across different sectors, which is keeping the patient voice at the centre of everything that it does. And it's looking at infection holistically. So from the patient start of the journey until they're in hospital and the diagnostic that you use, it could be down to hygiene, it could be anything, you know, we need to be looking at this as a whole global issue. Um, Certainly with antimicrobial resistance, um, that's really important. And I think it's not just about understanding antimicrobial resistance within the healthcare profession. It's actually about educating the public about what antimicrobial resistance is and the dangers of it. And I think the problem that we have in the UK is media can sometimes cause fear. And as we know, bad news makes good news and therefore it sells. And actually, sometimes what we need to be able to do is encourage people to do their own research into what they can do to safeguard themselves and their families. I think that's really, really important. So we have the Infection Management Coalition. We have, um, as you know, we work with, you know, with the Sepsis Trust, we work with across the NHS in terms of making sure people are using sepsis toolkits as guides, making sure people adopt the sepsis six and use it efficiently. And that's about education. That's about communication. And it's making sure that healthcare professionals also remember that they've trained for a number of years to do the role that they're doing. And it's not just about tick box. It's about looking at the patient in front of you, listening to the the parents or the caregivers and using common sense sometimes. And I think that's really important because over the last few years, things have become standardized, things have become digital, things have become tick box. Actually, we just need to remember that we're all humans in the middle of this. And 
that needs to be conveyed. And I, I think for healthcare professionals who spend perhaps five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes with that patient and their family, what they need to remember is that that patient and family will remember that interaction for the rest of their life. And so we have the ability to be able to make that impact a good and positive one. So that's what we hope to achieve. I think you answered my last question, Melissa, which was what advice would you give to the parents and healthcare professionals? I think it's very eloquently put, listen to the parents. They know their child the best. You know, we come in, as you say, 10, 20 minutes, have a snapshot of a child, but the child might be well in inverted commas during that 10, 20 minutes. But if the mother or the father is saying, actually, the child has been sleepy the whole day, we need to listen to them. I agree. And I think, you know, just to labour the last point of what can parents do is parents can be, have more confidence. And if they do approach healthcare professionals, whether that be in the community setting, like the GP surgery or out of hours or A&E, is to ask the question, could it be sepsis? And if you are told, no, it's not sepsis, ask why it's not. And I think that's really important because they should, any healthcare professional should be able to tell you why they don't suspect it's sepsis. And in order to not suspect it, you have to do some of those examinations that we talked about, you know, taking physiological examinations and form a picture of what is going on, a chronology of events, what led up to this meeting here today. You know, is there three weeks of history of being under the weather? Is this worse? What is worse for this child? And I think that's really, really important. So. Thank you, Melissa. As always, it's always a pleasure, always a revelation when I, whenever I speak to you. And I can't stress enough how, what a true inspiration you are for many, including myself. William will be really, really proud of what you do for all of us, for him, and what you do for sepsis at healthcare. Thank no, you so I, much for your time. No, thank you so much, Akash. And I think this is just my way of being William's mum now. So I really appreciate your kind words. Thank you so much. 